Hi, I'm Ankita. Hi, I'm Michelle. And hi, I'm Ashley. And we are the co-founders of Acorn and the hosts of Edipod, a podcast series elevating voices of educators and other key players working on advancing the education system in the United States. This season, we are discussing the impact of COVID-19 on students, teachers, and schools. Today, we're speaking with Taraya Zaidan, an English teacher from New Jersey. She has devoted her career to, quote, decolonizing the classroom. She has crafted and runs a series of workshops that enable educators to adopt anti-racist teaching, introduce multicultural literature in their lesson plans, and build safe spaces for students from diverse backgrounds to share their experiences. Along with teaching, Thuraya also serves on the Advisory Council for the Racial Equity, Affirmation, and Literacy Movement at the New Jersey Education Association. Today, Thuraya tells us about her personal story and passion for promoting equity in the classrooms. She also shares valuable insights on what it truly means to make education inclusive and just. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Thuraya, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm very excited about this talk today. Yes, and we're excited to have you here. Um, As I just mentioned in the introduction, you run a program, which is a series of workshops that you have created that discuss the topic of decolonizing the classroom. Can you tell us a little bit about what this program is and also what inspired you to launch that program? I think that I was inspired um, from my personal experience growing up in New Jersey. I always attended public schools and as a person who's Palestinian and who's Muslim, and I think for any marginalized person in America, it's really important for us to see ourselves in our learning process. And as I went through my schooling, um, and New Jersey is the most diverse state, I think, there was never any representation of people that were either Middle Eastern or Muslim, unless it was something stereotypical or just something not true. And so as a teacher, I wanted my students to not have that experience. And I teach seniors. So by the time they come to me, they've already went through the experience of Um, unfortunately not having the opportunity to see themselves or their people's contributions in the learning process. And a few years ago, as I worked on my thesis for grad school, I focused my study on how students are impacted when they're not represented in their learning. And I used my students for my data, they allowed me. And um, I would just survey them on how they felt about reading in general and what their interest was before and after multicultural lessons where we talked about social justice issues. And their interest would go up like at least by 90% after they were exposed. And so once it was um, like reaffirmed to me what I thought, I knew that that was the direction that I had to continue to move in. And so this is something that I continue to incorporate in my teaching. And I do it by like keeping up with what my school district asks me to do. And and in between those things that I have to do, which are mostly Eurocentric texts, which is the case really for curricula across the state and the country, I'll put in like um, multicultural texts, anti-racist texts, just so that students feel like they are part of the learning. 
Yeah. Um, thanks so much for sharing the overview. I I really, really love the program and the way you approach teaching literature, um, mainly because I, I was also an immigrant when I started high school in the U.S. And at the time, my teachers also also made the effort to make me feel welcomed and talk about my experiences and create that safe space. So along the lines of um, what you were saying about the program that you have built, can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of workshops you host, what topics do you address, and yeah, what is the nature of this of of your workshops, mainly for educators who are listening, for them to get a get a more deeper idea. Usually my goal is at the very least in these workshops is to create some kind of awareness for the teachers who attend. And if we're assuming that everyone teaching is well-intentioned and we're hoping that they are, I think that, you know, maybe perhaps educators are not aware that their students' um, self-image, self-esteem, insecurities being impacted when they're not represented in the learning process. So at the very least, the most basic thing I want to accomplish in the workshops is to create an awareness so that teachers leave and they feel like that they're doing something lacking. And I think it's okay to self-reflect and it's okay to admit when we're wrong and when we have shortcomings. But I think what's not okay is when we don't do anything to address that. And so um, I give some lesson plan ideas just to kind of inspire people and they can either like use some of my work or modify it or create their own. There's this one lesson plan that I created where I pull from various novels. For instance, there's, I have an Indian writer, a trans writer, a Mexican writer, an African writer, and an African-American writer. And I don't have the resources in my district, but I pull excerpts from each of these novels and I give students the opportunity to choose what they want to read. And so I'll do this by giving like backgrounds on the writers. And I'll tell them like, if you never read a writer from where you're from, you know, choose that. Or if you've never heard that there are Indian authors, then maybe you want to choose that one. And so I think choice goes a long way with students as well. Um, And regardless of what students read, because they end up by the end all reading different texts, we're still able to have great discussions because the topics are the same, you know, um, like the topics of love and family and relationships and struggle. And I think that like usually what ends up happening through school and college is whenever we see the story of people of color or Black people, they're usually stories of pain. And that's, those are not the only stories that people of color, of course, and Black people experience, and they're very um, narrow. And so I try to make it that, you know, there, there are plenty of stories by very um, well-written authors who talk about maybe their, their experience in their culture or their country or their family or finding love or what that looks like, depending on the person's um, background or sexual orientation. And so I think that it's a lot of times there's like a misconception that kids, especially teenagers, don't like reading. And I think we're doing them a disservice because we're not giving them things that they might like to read that would actually engage them. And so um, to go back to your question, at the very least, I want teachers to leave the workshop with, with awareness. But what I really hope for is that they take that information and that it inspires them 
to represent and include their students in the learning process and to even feel like their students deserve to be represented. And it's not that I think that we shouldn't have, for instance, um, American and European writers. I think we should, but I think that we should be representing people from around the world as opposed to schools in America. Typically, 90% of their curricula is by white writers. And, and now 50% of our students in the country um, are Black students and of color. And so the, the discrepancy, I think, is dangerous because it's showing students that they are not valued because we know that they're 50% of the students in the country and we're still not representing them or their people. Right. I think the, the point of representation is really important, whether in every setting, and I think more so in education, because you're introducing those concepts and those those points early on in, in, in students' lives. To that point, I, I want to uh, ask a question which wasn't on the script, but I think it, it flows really well here. When it comes to representation, one of the related topics is, is inclusivity and, and inviting people and, in, and getting to know each other's backgrounds and cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the points that you also say is you try to encourage your students, especially those coming from diverse backgrounds or those who are immigrants, and you create a safe space for them to share their experiences. Can you tell us a little bit more about what does it mean to build a safe space? I think it's so important to have a safe space in the classroom. And I wish there was a formula that I can just say for the first week of school, this is what we do. And then we'll have the space, but it, but it takes trust and it takes building. You know, usually I start to see the outcome of the same, the safe space a few months into the school year. And I think that happens when students see that their teacher cares to represent them in their learning cares to talk about things like current events that teachers are not asked to talk on at all, like something major um, that's happening in the country that everyone is talking about, like police brutality, for instance, is not required to be discussed in school and is even seen as controversial. And so I like to make a space where students can come in and say, you know, hey, Ms. Zidane, did you see this attack? Or did you see what this police officer did? Or did you hear about this racist thing that happened in our city? Um, And just so that they feel like there's a space where they can talk to an adult about something going on. And I think that when we do that, we can at least like rule out any information that's not true, right? Like as opposed to having um, maybe like really young people talk to other young people for information. And also like, even if something is not completely correct, I really try my best to just listen all the way through and not have a reaction that's full of judgment and to just listen because their experiences are valid. And I think that kids need to feel like well, we see them and we're absolutely not seeing them when they're not represented at all in their learning. I actually had, um, and I host anti-racist discussions bi-weekly through Zoom. Most of the people who attend are teachers, but really anyone can attend. And I have a segment at the end of my discussions where former students can come on and talk about their experiences with racism and such. And in the last one, a student who is undocumented was our guest, and he was part of the student segment. 
And um, he talked about his experience as a student in my classroom as a senior. And um, he shared that unfortunately his experience in school was to always feel like he had to hide because of his identity. And he had never shared before with his teachers or with his classmates that he was undocumented. I think he just kind of felt like he had to, you know, like just kind of blend in, be very quiet and not participate, not bring attention to himself. And I noticed early on that he was quite brilliant because his responses and his thoughts were not typical of um, most students that I had come across. And he shared that the first time he ever felt seen in a classroom was in my English class. And that made me extremely sad. I was heartbroken. Like now I'm like heartbroken all over again talking about it because I had him when he was 18 years old. And that should, that's not acceptable. It should not be the case for um, our kids to feel like their teachers are not seeing them and like they're not part of the learning. And I was so glad, um, however, that he was able to share with us that he was undocumented. He felt safe enough to say that in that space. And it was probably in the spring of the school year. So again, I think very early on, like trying to build that trust, listening, um, not being judgmental, allowing students to talk about things that are not in the pacing chart and in the curriculum that the school is mandating us to do, and just having like an open space, kind of like if your parents are people who are good listeners and are open to their children, even when they don't agree, I feel like more likely those kids will go to their parents when they have maybe a thought or a conflict. So I try to create what I think I'll be like when my kids are teenagers in my classroom. Yeah, that's such a powerful message. Um, yeah, listening is the first step towards building empathy and em empathy is the first step towards enabling any sort of change, right? So yeah, I, I think the message that you're sharing, which is listen and listen to the full story, I think it's a very powerful message. Very recently, we've had so much dialogue going on around racial justice for Black people, for for other minorities, for women as well. You did talk about how, how recent events do make their way into the classroom. Can you tell us about how, how does your teaching process really change when incidents like that happen? I become more conscious of what text or excerpt of something that the school is not providing me with when I have things of my choice, um, you know, that I'm teaching in the classroom, I become more conscious of what I'm bringing in so that it can guide us to have those kinds of discussions. I think it's not okay to ignore the racial injustices of this country. And I think, unfortunately, there's a pattern of educators teaching without ever talking about things outside of the textbook and not addressing our kids' realities. Um, and I also think it's really important, most school districts probably won't agree, I think it's very important that kids know where their teacher stands on Black Lives Matter and LGBT and um, undocumented students and immigrants and refugees and people with disabilities and all marginalized people really and to let our kids know that we are with them. And I feel like that alone, 
like provides a kind of strong relationship between a teacher and their students. Um, and I'm thinking right now of Dr. Bettina Love's um, recent book, and she talks about how in order to teach your students, you have to love them first, because how can you teach a person that you don't love, right? And a lot of teachers don't even see their students, let alone love them. They don't acknowledge that they are anything maybe other than a person who's there to, um, you know, listen to the lesson, to maybe take a test or complete an assignment at the end. And of course, I, I also do believe that there are many teachers who are doing a lot more than just going in for, you know, their eight to four or whatever the day is. Um, but I do think that overwhelmingly, um, most people are not doing that. Um, I think it is important to talk about Black Lives Matter and, and all the other social justice topics that you mentioned in your question. And I think that also goes back to our, our last um, topic on the safe space in the classroom. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that, you know, creating that safe space really is the first step. And I think that, especially during this time, I think that certain students are probably feeling pretty unsafe and pretty scared. And that kind of brings me to the next question that I have. And that's, how do you introduce and talk about intersectionality in your classes, especially thinking about how COVID is disproportionately affecting certain communities and certain students? I think being able to talk about things that are, again, not required in the teaching is really important. And talking to students about what intersectionality is, um, bringing in maybe readings or examples or just having natural conversations with them, um, finding out what they're curious about talking. Uh, one of the things I do early on in the school year is I pass around a clipboard and I ask students, they don't even have to write their name down, but I ask them to write for me things that they identify with. It could be one or five things, right? Like someone might write refugee, LGBT, um, and maybe whatever country their parents are from. And I like to use thing, use that without them having to really put themselves out there to have conversations. Or for instance, somebody might write down woman, um, an immigrant. So I think that that's like something that I've seen like um, a good outcome with, and I'd like to continue to do that. And then as far as like COVID is concerned now, people who are so rigid with like timelines and are not really understanding, I think it's just part of being human and like looking at the kids that you teach. If your students are sharing a Chromebook amongst their siblings or if they don't have Wi-Fi to attend the Zoom meetings and to submit work on time, like these are their realities. And we have to admit that like um, an assignment is not going to be more important than maybe a person who's taking care of their siblings because their parent or parents are working um, really long hours or working overnight. And again, like if you are not open with your students, they're not even going to probably share that information with you because you already come across as someone who does not understand. Um, so I think just really being understanding and accommodating them where 
they need to be accommodated. I think if anything, we've learned that from this experience that we can work from home and people who are unable to um, go to school for whatever reason could have been really learning from home this entire time and we were not um, accommodating them. People who are disabled, for instance, could have been working from home just as the whole country worked from home and we did not accommodate them. So I think, and you know, we also learned that we don't have to wear slacks every day and we can still do our jobs, right? Like I'm in sweatpants right now. Um, and I think that just being an accommodating person and being human goes a long way. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious how, because you kind of mentioned that at the beginning of the year, you, you pass around a clipboard. Is that something that you're going to be able to do this year? And how are you going to kind of begin to create that safe space this year, given kind of what's happening? I have been thinking about that throughout the entire summer. Um, I feel very conflicted because I'm not sure how with my group of students in the last school year, um, I was able to build that trust and relationship with them between September and March. And so when we started virtual learning, that was already there, it existed. But now I am a little anxious about how to replicate that in the coming school year um, because I have not met this new group of students before. And so how do I have this safe space and open conversations on current events, on social justice issues and things outside of textbook learning through an online platform? Um, that's still something that I'm trying to um, read on and get ideas from other educators and try to figure out. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it will be very challenging. And I, I do feel like a lot of teachers are kind of in that same space of trying to figure out how do I bring in a whole new group of students that I've never met before and still feel like I have a relationship with them. I would love to hear, you know, once your school year starts, how that goes. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm curious, you know, aside from building a relationship with students and kind of like these pieces that everyone's trying to figure out, what advice would you give to your fellow educators on making the educational experience more inclusive and more just, especially for those who might be coming at it for the first time? Um, I think one way for sure is to first admit and realize how we have all internalized white supremacy, because I don't think we can address racism until we do that first. It's like the foundation of it. And then I think um, just acknowledging the racism that takes place in education within the school that they're teaching in. Um, and one of the, and, and some of the things that make schools racist across the country are that, again, our students are not being represented. Um, there's no teaching or learning on anti-racism. So even if you have students who are bringing their racism and bias and and discriminatory um, you know, thoughts with them to school, there's no undoing taking place there. Also having a police presence in schools, especially in schools in our urban districts, makes our schools racist. And we see that in schools where that are predominantly white, there aren't officers who um, are armed throughout the school buildings. Um, having teachers who 
for nonviolent student behavior, call security and police regularly to remove students out of the classroom because they are not trained or don't want to deal with them properly. And um, encouraging administration to hire more teachers of color. Well over, um, I think it's 85% of teachers in the United States are white. And again, we know the discrepancy with students being 50% black and of color in the country. So just really taking a steps and effort to try to make the school environment more just than it is. Even if it's having clubs like an African-American club, for instance, or a club for students who are Muslim or a club for students who are LGBT or a club for students who are part of DACA. And of course, encouraging students to even partake in activities and events and clubs that are out of their identity. And we know, of course, that this promotes and encourages students to accept one another more, which is a way to deconstruct the racism that the students have. And then also, I would add what we discussed about COVID as far as just being understanding and um, being aware of our students' challenges that they have at home. And, you know, not policing students. Like, for instance, if a student is partaking in a Zoom meeting, not forcing the student to turn their camera on, I think is one. Um, giving students like extra time that they may need to submit an assignment and really just being accommodating and trying to be conscious of what they're teaching and are their students being represented. Yeah, thanks for talking about what it means to be inclusive and just. I'd love to hear more about how that comes up in your work since you mentioned that you're also on the racial equity committee of your district. Can you tell us a bit more about what that responsibility entails and any new initiatives that may have come up from the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement? The district that I work in did not previously have a racial equity committee. So this is a new committee that was created a few months ago um, after the recent um, protests and events in the country. And some initiatives that we're trying Myself, along with the other two member advisory council people, is to have events for the community where parents and students and teachers can come after school hours and talk about their experiences. We want to try to create a safe space in the community through this committee. Um, and we're not sure exactly how that's going to play out, but we don't have something currently where that's where that exists and we wanna create that space for people. Um, even having speakers come in and talk about things like racism and anti-racism and what are some steps that we can take and what actions can we take to move forward. You know, even addressing racism within ourselves and individually and on a collective level. We'd also like to have events where teachers can come for like optional PDs or workshops to get information that they may not be getting through the school district. We're also planning to host the events at different places within the same city so that we're supporting the city of the district and being conscious about choosing places where owners of businesses are people of color so that through this, we're also supporting the community. Um, it's something that I'm excited about. I think that one way to 
push change is to organize for sure. I think that we need, like, it's not enough for me by myself to want the change. I think that when you're working with a group of people, you're much more likely to be successful when it comes to that and to, um, you know, create that kind of necessary change that we need. And so to be on the small committee and to, you know, to start out with this and to see where it goes is something that I'm very excited about because I think that the change is long overdue. And it's it's really unfortunate that we had to wait for, you know, the murder of George Floyd and the and the recent protests and COVID for people to start to slightly be aware that we need to make a shift in this country. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that your district is taking the steps to become more inclusive and supportive of students of color and communities of color, even if it may be you know, in unfortunate circumstances. Um, you may have already answered this question a little bit, but I'm just going to ask it anyways. Um, so as a member of the Racial Equity Committee, how are you and your team planning for the next academic year to ensure that you're creating an inclusive educational experience, even through the pandemic? We would like to have events monthly. And I, and we hope that we can have them in person and create this connection with the community and with students and teachers. It looks like that won't happen for a little while. So we're gonna try our best to do that um, through through meetings like this, through Zoom meetings, um, and to make it so that we're addressing and representing um, people where there's a need. We're, we're inspired by partially by the anti-racist discussions that I hold bi-weekly. And um, I have a guest that I bring to those other than the students who who talk during the student segment. And we wanna try to replicate that where a person um, is teaching us and it's this place where we're there to listen and to learn, right? Not to take space and to talk. And it's not about the feelings of white people and their guilt and their discomfort, but truly a place that um, where people are coming to listen and reflect and to think about what change they're going to make moving forward. Um, ideally, I would like to take that concept and apply it to this committee because I, because of the good feedback from the anti-racist discussions, I would like to see how in a setting like the one that we, that we have with the Racial Equity Committee, what that would look like. Yeah, it, you know, hearing about the work that you're doing um, on anti-racism and education um, is so inspiring. And I know you may have covered a little bit of this, but just personally, what inspires you to continue doing this work? Because, you know, as women of color, we know that it's not easy to educate people, especially white people and people in power um, about the oppression that they have caused and, and that effect on people of color. So what really inspires you to continue with this work? It's definitely exhausting work. And I think that in this space we know as women and as people of color that this is exhausting work to um, educate people on racism and anti-racism and and anti-Blackness, even within our cultures, the anti-Blackness that exists. But I believe that it's so necessary. And 
I can't see myself living without doing this kind of work. Anti-racism work is a lifetime of work. And I think if you're, if a person is going to dedicate themselves to this work, you just have to be committed and do it and do it throughout. I have two young boys and I feel like just knowing that I never had any representation of my people in my learning process is not something that I want them to experience. And my students, who I also call my kids, um, inspire me for sure. Um, I don't want that to be their experience either. I think that they are deserving of being um, represented in their learning and of being valued and seen. And I don't think that can happen if we don't have these kinds of conversations, which are sometimes, yes, difficult and tiring, um, especially when talking to people in power, whether it's administration or when we talk about politicians, for instance. But I think that it's necessary and it's the only way really to move forward. Right. I think um, just by sharing your story with us and, and your perspective and insights have inspired us to, to stand up for what we believe in, including, including issues of racial justice and equity. We've, uh, this entire conversation has been so insightful and informative for all of us. Um, and we have kind of spoken about the question that I'm about to ask you, but it is one that we ask all, all of our interviewees, which is, what is your vision for the future of education? Kind of thinking more long-term and, and being yeah a little like you've already been very bold and very vocal about what we should do. Um, but yeah, I guess what is the final message that you'd want to leave our audience with? If I could, I would, I almost want to use the word abolish, but it makes people a little nervous. I would revamp the entire education system and um, there would be more representation in teachers. There would also be, in order to obtain a teaching license, classes that teacher education students have to take on anti-racism, on multiculturalism, and on, you know, just really having more of a training on our students' realities in their lives. Because we can go through the entire education program, as I have and some of, some of you may have, and there, is, there are no classes or even discussions on this or in racial inequities in schools. So we're not even addressing that this is a real thing. So I think that in order to um, advance the education in this country, we would have to first be sure that teachers are getting the proper um, training that they need. Of course, a training cannot rid someone of their racism, but my hope is that maybe it will deter some people from that particular major. <laughs> um, also, I would say um, the policing in schools, not having police in schools at all, and um, instead having restorative justice programs within schools, um, having more counselors and social workers, having healthy meals for our students, and really just providing students across the country, regardless of their race or socioeconomic status, with a proper education. And then also, of course, a major piece for me would be, um, my vision would include that all marginalized people are represented in education. 
I think that one is is huge. And I think that that's one of the major reasons that our um, schools are racist in this country. And sometimes I think that that statement in itself makes some people a little uncomfortable. But I think that it's something that we have to face as um, being true and address that by representing our students, then if if we're going to say that we value all of our students and that we care about all of their learning and self-image and, and growth. I think you you conveyed very perfectly something that all of us believe in and think about, but very few of us have kind of have the courage to come out and really boldly state all of that and which you did for all of us. So for that, thank you so much. And Thank you for coming on this episode. For our listeners, we have shared more information about Thuraya's program, which is called Decolonizing the Classroom, mm-hmm. as well as her Instagram handle in the description box for this episode. So please, um, please take a look at her work and support her. Thuraya, thank you so much again for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate all of you and all of your time. Thanks for tuning into this episode. To recommend topics and nominate educators to be interviewed, visit acornlabs.org. To support us, subscribe to this series and donate on Patreon.